So um, Nathan just said, uh, if you wanted to stand, stand. If you didn't want to stand, don't stand. Well, I'm going to speak for about 30 minutes. If you want to listen, you can listen. If you don't. <laughs> and it did remind me of uh, something that um, Lee also said about blessings, our blessings this week. And I was sharing uh, back a couple of weeks ago, actually with Lee, how I feel blessed that uh, that. I'm able to spend time studying the Bible to the degree and to the time that I'm that I can, because I realize many of you uh, don't have that opportunity. You just don't have the time that has been given me by you to uh, to study God's word. Some of you just have enough time to read a short passage and ponder it and, and find, sometimes even have a hard time finding time to do that. And so one of my one of my goals is that during this time together I give you something to think about that you can you know that that you can profit from my study and that you can take home with you and take this week and and think about and uh, make an application to your life. If you are listening or if you're hearing, I don't know I don't know which way this goes. If you're hearing me, I hope you listen or if you're listening, I hope you hear. And what I mean by that is as you're listening, uh, I would encourage you to think about how does this apply to me? Because that's one of the, the struggles that I have in, in, in making a, a lesson applicable. It's almost impossible to, uh, from the very youngest to the very oldest, the ones who are listening, to try and give an application to your life. So as you listen, uh, as you hear, I hope you place these thoughts in your mind and think, well, how does that apply to me and my life where I am right now? I tie our title here, Who Wants to Be a Winner? First John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, if you want to turn there. And we have uh, been looking at the what is called the fifth chapter. John did not write these in chapters and verses. That was put for us later years to help us find uh, certain passages. But in this fifth chapter, we saw at the beginning how people who are born into the family of God begin or, or begin to take on a likeness of their father. We're born of God. And so genetically, spiritually speaking, we begin to take on the likeness of God. And that likeness comes out in our actions, the actions of love, the actions of faith, the actions of obedience. And as you see these things come out in your life, obedience, love, and faith, you are looking like your father. He further commands, uh, uh, states to us that obedience to the commands of God is not a bother. It's not a burden. And I know I've gone through my life in my younger years to look at the commands of God as a bother or as a burden. And as I've done that, I've known about this passage, so I think, well, something's wrong with me because I'm looking at God's laws, his 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 direction, and I, I'm seeing them as a burden. Well, guess what? Something was wrong with me. <laughs> and, and so if you look at God's commands as a burden, something's wrong in the way we're thinking, the way we're looking at these. In fact, John says joy actually comes from obedience because God created us to live a certain way. Have you ever thought of this? God created you 
to be a certain kind of person. That you function at your optimum. You, you function at your very best when you're doing certain things certain ways. And that's where God's commands come in. As we look at God's commands and we learn from them, we experience joy, not drudgery. Uh, I can't remember who wrote the book, Anna Karenina. I can never say it correctly. But that book opens up and says something, something like this. Every, um, every good marriage is good because they're doing uh, a, particular, a, a particular thing. But there's millions of ways to have bad marriages. And what he was trying to say in this whole book is basically this. God created us and he said, this is how you have a good marriage. He actually gave us some instructions. We spent last weekend at a marriage retreat listening to some of those instructions. This is how you have a good marriage. And if you want to have a good marriage, there's really just one way, and that's God's way. But there's millions of ways that you can have a bad marriage. And you can try a whole bunch of different ways to do it. And that's the same with your life. Do you want to have a joyful life? There's one way to do it. There's millions of ways to live miserably. There's one way to live joyfully. And that's how, following what God tells us to do. John, one of his reasons here, he says, I wrote this so that you'll be filled up with joy, that you'll be full of joy. And then he says, and part of that joy is learning how to obey God. Last week, did you notice, maybe it was just me, but did you notice the song we sang at the end of my lesson? Anyone remember that at all? I almost got back up here and said a few more words, but I thought, oh, no, (laughs) I might get in big trouble if I do that. Trust and obey. We talked about trust and obedience and love last week. And then the song that we sang was trust and obey. And all these things were like, wow, that's exactly what I've been saying, trying to say in the song. And the one of the last verses says this, we can, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. I know that's poetic. It's just saying until we place our life and say, okay, well, I'll do it your way, God. I'm laying my life on the altar and I'll never understand the love of God until I until I get to that point in my life. And then he says, for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will what? Trust and obey, who have faith and obey. And then he goes on and says, trust and obey. What? For there's no other way to be happy, joyful. In Jesus, except to trust and obey. We're dismissed. (laughs) And actually, that wouldn't be a bad place to dismiss, would it? And some of you would really think, say, that was the best sermon you ever preached. (laughs) And I want you to know, this this is not a mindless trust. Christians have been accused of blind faith. This is not blind faith. This is not mindless trust. But it's faith built on facts. We're looking at some facts here. What I believe are facts. And I have reasons to believe there are facts. And it's a faith built on that. And it's not a mindless obedience either. We can, as we grow and mature, we can begin to say, oh, now I see the reason why God wants me to do this. I see the value behind this. I see the purpose. 
I see, oh, this is why God calls me to live that way. It begins to make sense as I grow and mature. You know, I'd say the happiest, most joyful people are the people who have matured in the Lord and they see the value that obeying him gives them. You know, I'm not going to take the time. I was going to turn over to Ephesians. And there's a section there that just goes through and it says, put off and put on. It does in the Colossians 2. There's several places. And I was thinking, you know, the, the things that he says to put off, the ways he tells you not to live in bitterness. Do you know happy, bitter people? It doesn't make sense. And so he says, don't do that. Do you know greedy people? Who are happy, truly happy and joyful, greedy people? No. And so he says, don't do this. And he says, and do this. Serve one another in love. When are you the happiest? When you're giving, when you're serving. Now, when you're, when you're, when you're being challenged to do that, yeah, you struggle with it. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. But when you do it, then you go, then you see, you experience the joy that God gives you in obeying him. And that's how life is. There's so many times that we do this and God just gives it to us, just tells us right there in the Bible. And that's why it's so valuable. You don't have to get into the theology and the depths of of Scripture, which is beautiful and wonderful. And there's some good stuff there. But, you know, just read it. And it says, do this, don't do this. Put off this, don't, you know, put off that. Put on this, put off that. And when you do that, when you obey God that way, you're going to be happy. And that's why I asked the, the question, the last lesson, who wants to be happy? And so now I'll ask, who wants to be a winner? And if I were to ask you, as I said last week, to raise your hand if you want to be happy, everyone, almost everyone, I think everyone would have done that. Who wants to be a winner? I think almost everyone does that, too. Let's read verses four and five together. He says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes That Jesus is the Son of God. As I said, we all desire victory. I think it's rooted in the fabric of our souls, this desire for victory. And and sports comes to our minds almost immediately when we think about winning and victory. It's rare that we remember people who came in second place. We remember who came in first place, but, you know, we don't remember people who came in second and much less the last place or, or third place. Winning statements in sports abound. I have one there by Kobe Bryant. Winning takes precedence over all. There's no gray area, no almost. And we say that man's a winner. Bear Bryant. Winning isn't everything, but it beats anything that comes in second. <laughs> and then Bobby Knight said, the key is not the will to win, Everyone, everybody has that. It's the will to prepare to win that's important. You know, these are all like, you know, great winning statements and things to think about. George Steinbrenner said this, winning is the most important thing in my life after breathing. Breathing first, winning second. (laughs) That's how he lived his life. How do you pronounce his name? DeRocher, Leo DeRocher, is that right? I never did say you can't be a nice guy and win. I said if I was playing third base and my mother rounded third with the winning run, I'd trip her up. <laughs> we, we, like, we want to win, don't we? 
Stories, our stories, the stories we tell, our winning stories, the personal stories we tell, the stories of our culture, our stories of victory, from all the way back to mythology, to fiction, to biographies. We want to read the stories of winners and winning. One statement is, history is written by winners. It's a truism. I think Napoleon said that and... and, uh, Winston Churchill said something like that, close to that, too. But, you know, just, I just started thinking of all the stories that we have. Jack and the Beanstalk is about Jack winning. Hansel and Gretel, he overcame the witch. Books, <laughs> yes, witch. Got someone's attention. Books, you go to a book, you, you see all these things. Think and grow rich, you were born rich, you know. The power of your subconscious mind. I mean, all these winning things. You never, you never go to the bookstore and say, how to be a loser. I mean, it's not there. It might be. I mean, someone who's creative might have a book like that. But it's really not about how you are going to be a loser. But it's just to make you buy their books so they can win. And that's all, all that is. And so we have all these books that promote how to win and how to improve. And they're sold by the millions. Even the story of those who lose, there are stories about those who lose, but they're actually stories about how they achieve something in their losing. Do you remember the story that now this dates when I was, I think, in high school of the man who came in last place, the marathon? I cannot remember who won first and I can't remember who won last and I can't uh, even remember what year this was. It might have been the 72 Olympics, but it was it was impressive Because the person who came in last had fallen early in the race, hurt himself pretty badly. And hours and hours and hours later, like around midnight, he comes stumbling into the stadium. Do you remember this? There was there was a lights, a police escort, and he's barely hobbling to the end. And that was just on. That's what the Olympics is all about. This. You know, the, you know the, to finish and to be, to achieve and to, to rise beyond, he came in last place by hours. But the story was he was a winner because of how he accomplished that, how, how he accomplished coming in last place when he could have just quit. He didn't quit. And so even our stories about losing is really about, are really about winning. And the desire for victory is true spiritually, too. We desire to win spiritually. God created us to win. Uh, God created us to be with him, to desire heaven. We don't desire hell. We desire heaven. We want to defeat sin in our lives. We all experience sin, but we want to defeat it. When we're discouraged, we say things like this. I was overcome by temptation or Satan defeated me. We use the winning words, overcome, defeated. We, said it, we say these things with regret, a sense of loss when these things happen to us. And the stories we often tell from the Bible are those of great victories. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who, who doesn't like that story? Moses, Joseph, on and on. The stories of people who overcame, who won. And here's the important thing that you must know and remember. Christians are winners. They're victorious. They're overcomers. And part of our problem is that many of us have been taught, maybe culturally, 
been taught to say, yes, one day we will overcome. One day we will go to heaven. One day we will be winners, but not now. And yet the scripture, as I will show you in a few minutes, says not only then, but now. Christians are winners now, and they will ultimately be winners. There's a dual win here that we have in Christ. We'll one day overcome in a final way, and yet currently we live overcoming lives. Some believe the former. Yeah, we'll go to heaven. But they don't believe the latter. I'm a winner right now. This is so, um, this is so good that I'm making this a two-part lesson. I was going to cram it all in. I said, no, I've been told many times, just cut your lesson short and make it two. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, man. One of my friends over there. That was good. I got an amen. One of the best amens I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, all right. So this shouldn't take more than another hour. <clears throat> anyway. Let's look at this definition of overcome. <laughs> you know, I've used the word winner, uh, uh, overcome, victory, synonyms to this word, um, to the synonym as overcome, the word we see in the, in the Bible here. And I can imagine as I was reading through this and thinking this out that some may say, well, overcome, that's different than victory. That's different than uh, a win. It could be like a, like a modest win. You know, you just kind of you did OK. And this word is used four times in this passage, but I want to show you that it means a victorious winning. It means a, it's, it's, it's a victory win. The word Nike, you recognize that, don't you? Shoes, sports shoes. Do you know where that word actually came from? Whether you like it or not, you just learned a Greek word. That's the Greek word, Nike. Everyone's familiar with it. Go anywhere in the world. In Fiji, they call it Nike. Uh, some places they call it Nike, but it's Nike and as, as, as the proper way. And it's taken from Greek mythology. The Olympic Games is prior to the Olympic Games, but the Olympic Games took place in Greece, the first one at the, the city of Olympia, of all things. And a laurel, a crown, was put on the winner's heads, just as today a gold medal is placed around the winner's neck. And in ancient paintings, usually on pottery, you'll see a Greek goddess by the name of Nike. And she is the winning goddess. She's the goddess of victory. In fact, her name means victory. One of the most beautiful statues you'll ever see, if you get a chance to see this, is in the Louvre. The Nike of Samothrace. An absolutely stunning, even with her head off and her arms. It is a beautiful statue. Of, of Nike. And if you, so this word is rooted, when people read this, people were Greek readers back in John's day. He wrote it in Greek. And as he read it, people would see this word Nike and they would think, they might not think of the goddess, but they would think of victory, winning. Look it up in a Greek lexicon, a, a dictionary. And it says to conquer, to vanquish, to subdue, to prevail, to be superior. And this word, and this is where I want you to get today, this word, there's emotion attached to this word. It's not just abstract. There's emotion attached. It's a feeling that you get when you win an award, when you get a, a, a medal, when you get a bonus, whatever it is, 
sometimes just a certificate. We, we take pictures. We put it on our, book, on our refrigerator. We show people the certificate that we get. And we say, this shows I've accomplished something. This shows I've won something. I'm number one. I was a swimmer in high school and college. And you, you see these swimmers coming, you know, to the, to the end and, you know, they touch. And what does the winner do? He's jumping up in the water and he's hitting the water. He's, I've actually won a couple of races. <laughs> I know what it's like to lose, too. But I know what it's like to win. When you come and you look at the score, you look at the timing and you won by a tenth of a second over someone else. Took first place. And it's the emotion that you get here. And that's what is attached to this word, this emotion that I've won. And it's based on some facts. It's not just an emotional win. It's based on the fact of who God is and how he made me to be. And when I understand that, then I understand what this means emotionally. It's also expanding. I've told you how this expands from earlier verses, the, the words are, keep coming out. And it started all the way back to chapter 2, verse 13. We see this expansion. And I've used this little like ripple effect in the water. I read someone who called it John's, um, the way he does it, he calls it a braid. I thought, oh, that's neat. He braids, you know how, I, I can't braid my hair. But I used to could. <laughs> You know, you take a three-strand braid, and, and, and that one goes all, it keeps showing up, that one braid and that braid. And he says, so these concepts just keep coming back and back as we go through it. Let's look at this together. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to give you a, a gr- grammar lesson here, but I'm going to tell you something about the grammar that helps us. We're in chapter 2, verse 13, and in 14, he says the same thing twice, okay? I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And that word there, overcome, we can't see it in the English as well. It means something happened to you in the past that currently has present results. Something happened, which is when you became a Christian, and you currently are living in that victory. That's what that word means. Because you have overcome. Something happened then, then, but it's not in the past. It has a present result. And then the next one in uh, verse, chapter 4, verse 4. Same thing here. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Something happened in the past and is presently happening to you now. Because the one who is why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And then we come to this passage here in chapter 5. And he mixes up some tenses here when he says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And that word means I am currently, right now, overcoming the world. This is not in the future. This is not in the past. This is right now. And we see that in English if you, you see the present tense there. For everyone born of God overcomes, presently overcomes the world. And then he says, and this is a victory, a related word, which means this is the principle of victory. This is a, a principle of conquest. This is a victory that overcomes. And this is in a strange... Uh, uh, tense that basically means it really is happening. He's saying this is successfully happening in your life. It's actually happening in your life. That's the stress of that word. This is a victory that really, really happens when you over, you're currently overcoming the world. And he says, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes? And that's in our present. Who is currently overcoming? Who's the one who is currently overcoming the world? Only he who believes 
that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's the point. John is saying this. Something happened to you in the past if you're a Christian that makes you a winner now. Something happened to you in the past that makes you a current winner, a current overcomer. You live in victory now. It's complete. It's actual. It's successful in your life. You are both an over. You are both overcoming and an overcomer at the same time. We're on the winner's platform receiving our medal and we're in the race at the same time. We say that's physically impossible. That's true. Spiritually, it's not. Spiritually, you are a winner. You're on the platform. One, you have one. And spiritually, you're still in the race in the process of winning. And so in the next lesson, I'm going to anchor myself there and really get into that. How do we overcome? Because some of you are sitting there, and if you are and you've gone to sleep on me, wake up for a minute. Because sometimes you don't feel like a winner, do you? Sometimes you feel like a loser. In fact, it's discouraging to hear a preacher get up and say how much of a winner you are when you feel like you're losing all the time. You hear these stories about people who have overcome sin and have done such great things and they're giving their testimony about how wonderful things are. And you're sitting there saying, that's not me. I'm really struggling with my sin right now. Make sense of this for me because you're saying I'm a winner, but I feel like a loser. What's going on here? We have to anchor some things and some facts. This is where the facts come in. John over and over tells us, this is what you know. This is what you know. This is what you know. If you haven't been with us in the past 40 something times, he goes back to this word. You know this. You know this. You know it. And he, he uses two different words. You know it up here in your brain and you know it in your experience. And he keeps bringing these things over and over. And so being an overcomer and overcoming is based on some facts. Here's the first one. First fact. Is, uh, is that Jesus is the Christ and he's the Son of God. He bookends this section here from verse 1 and verse 5. He says, let's read it. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And then at the end he says, everyone who believes, who overcomes only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And we can spend a lot of time on these two things. The implications that Jesus is the Christ, the applications that Jesus is the Son of God in our lives. We could, it's been throughout this whole series from the very First verses. Do you remember what the very first verses of First John are? Read them when you have time. But he's anchoring you in the historicity, the history of a real person, Jesus the Christ. And he's basically saying, based on what he did, I'm telling you some things that are true in your life. So he brings this all in. So we've been talking about through this whole section. But he, he, to sum it up, he says this. Those who believe that he is the Christ. And the Christ meant this. A person was the prophet, priest, and king. That's what the Messiah, the Christ was. You're the prophet. You tell us the message of God. Do you want to know what God wants? Christ tells you. The prophet, Christ, explains it to you. He's our priest. He's the avenue by which our sins are removed. That's what a priest did. In fact, he's the high priest. And so he's the priest who removes our sins. And he's the king. He's the one who guides us through life. He leads us in the battles. That's what a king did. He led people in battle. He led them through life. He told them what the way to live. And that's what the Christ does. And this is how we overcome. We know the message. We know our sins are forgiven. And we know the direction we should be going in our lives. And he's also the son of God. He's divine. He's God in the flesh. We're not going to spend any more time. We, that's that's. Three or four sermons right there. 
But another way, another fact we go into is abiding. We abide in him. Over 20 times in this little book, he talks about abiding. We've done every single one. We looked at every single one as, as we've gone through these. And he says, here's the relationship you have with God. Here's, here's the re- relationship that you know. It's an abiding relationship, which means you dwell, you presently dwell. That The word means you're sitting at home with him. It means you're comfortable with him. It means you're permanent dwelling. It means he's living within you. You can read that in verse uh, 13 of chapter 4. We know that we live in him. We know we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And if you don't know what that means, just look in the past sermons. But, but we know it. We know we live in him. This is a fact. This is where the Christian lives. It exists. This is why Paul says in Ephesians, we dwell in heavenly realms. And he, he says we currently dwell. A Christian, spiritually speaking, is not sitting in the physical earth. Oh, yes, we're physically here. But spiritually, you are in the heavenly realms. He's not saying you will one day go to heaven, but you're currently spiritually dwelling in the heavenly realms. And then third, we begin to see the world in a different way. You know, the world, think about this. The world overcomes everyone who enters it. Every person who has ever entered the world, the world has defeated. The world has overcome. And the only ones who can overcome the world are those who are reborn, who come into a new kingdom. You have to be a new person to overcome the world. In this new state, this new being that I am, I've now been given something. And it's a power within me that I can overcome the world that's been granted to me. Faith. Faith. Who, who is it that overcomes the world? This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Faith is the key. And faith is not faith in faith. It's not this trite saying, believe and achieve. We've heard that before. It, it rhymes, so it sounds good. Believe and achieve. And that's not saying that human faith can't accomplish anything. Human faith accomplishes a lot and can be quite impressive. Truly, people are made a little lower than the angels because you can see great things achieved. But what we're talking about here is not believing yourself, but a faith that goes back to that chapter, uh, verse one and verse five, that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of God. It stakes everything on those two facts. And it causes us to begin to see the world differently. How do I know this? How do I know this? Because Jesus is divine, if Jesus is divine. And he says, I abide in you and you abide in me. If he's divine, that's a true statement, whether you feel it or not. And that's what we that's our problem. We're looking for feelings. We're we're looking for a feeling that he abides in us. We're looking for a feeling that I have overcome. We're looking for these feelings. And he says, I'm the Christ. I have God's message for you. I'm the prophet. I'm the priest. I've taken care of your sins. And I'm the king. I'm telling you how to live your lives. That's fact. And I am God's son. I am divine. And when I say I'm living in you, guess what? 
I'm living in you. And you're living in me. And that's the truth. That is the truth, whether we feel it or not. Here's our problem. Our problem in overcoming our present struggles. We all have struggles, and we're going to talk more about that next week. Is we forget who we are. We become, I've said it over and over, me-focused instead of Christ-focused. Who we are, living out that reality, knowing who I am, and living out that reality is the key to being an overcomer, current overcoming. Who are we? You've been with me, haven't you? You're God's children. You're his little children. You're his beloved. You're abiding in Christ. And when we learn to live out the reality of those in our lives, we'll find ourselves true overcomers. You know, it's not, I started beginning, who wants to be a winner? Actually, that's not a really good question. We all want to be winners, but who is the winner is a better question. And the answer is, I am. I am. If you're a Christian, you can say, I am. Do I feel like a winner? This week, personally, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. This week, I've felt like a loser a lot. I've had some moments of, <sighs> I don't know if I can get up. You know, Maybe I'm the only one that ever feels that way. But I felt not like an overcomer a lot in this week. But guess what? I'm a winner. I'm an overcomer simply because I believe that Jesus is the Christ and he tells me how to live. He's the son of God. I believe him. If he said I'm a winner, if he said I'm going to heaven, if he said I can't overcome sin, that's the truth. I just need to learn.